0: of Luke, Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, it was the ultimate good news and bad news scenario. The good news was I was at the family farm in Colorado and grandmother asked me to go to the cellar to get some home canned raspberries to put on top of our ice cream, that is good news. The bad news is the cellar was somewhere in the basement in another room, secluded and down even further, and, and in the basement, at least at this stage of my life, I was sure that uh, man-eating monsters lived in there, and, and uh, I had to walk through the monsters to get to the good stuff. In the middle of the, the cellar there was a, a light that hung from the ceiling, and a string hung from the light, and you had to walk into the dark and feel around until you found the string, and then you gave the string a pull, and, and the lights would come on at that point, and for some Uh, reason unbeknownst to me for some metaphysical reason when the lights came on the monsters always went away so it was a race for your life through the darkness to get the light to come on so that the the monsters would would go away and I think all of us know what it is in life to go through dark times we hope for the best. We hope that better things will come. And many times what keeps us going on in life is the belief that although it is difficult and sometimes frightening, we believe there's something better on the other side waiting for us. Let me tell you, Christmas comes in one of the times of years where we're a little bit more introspective. We're finishing off one year, and that'll cause you to think. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's shocked with how fast time is flying by. I can't believe Thanksgiving is gone and we're on to Christmas now. It's it's a time of year where we're remembering what has happened and we're getting ready for another year of life to come. It's a dark time. Physically, we know that to be true. The longest nights of the year come during the Christmas season. We're fast approaching the winter solstice and it'll be the longest, darkest night of the year, but it's during this time of the year that God chose to bring the light of His love. That's what Christmas time is. It's the light in the middle of the darkness that brings hope. It shows us that more that is beyond. We're grateful for that. A couple thousand years ago, God in His grace brought the light by way of a Christmas star to bring good news into a world that definitely needed some. And uh, we understand that these are times in which fear comes. It comes into all of our lives. Before times in the Christmas narrative, the angels show up. And each time the angels began their remarks by saying something similar to this. Be not afraid. Don't be scared. It's going to be all right. They brought words of comfort and, and words of peace that was for the audience to whom they were speaking, but it's for us today. There's something for, for us in all of this. And we're going to involve ourselves in a study that we'll consider throughout the holiday season, ways in which we can find courage and comfort in the midst of dark and many times frightening times of life. And I think we can be helped by that. If you're able, I'm going to invite you to join me in standing, please. And uh, we're going to look to God's Word today. And we're going to read more verses than we normally do. I'm going to read the entire Gospel of Luke this morning. I was just kidding. I want to make sure you guys were with me already, okay? And uh, we're going to read a bunch of verses. And as we uh, prepare to read, beginning in verse 5, I want to just say today, I don't know whether you're overcoming your fear or you're being overcome by fear. But if you have a pulse, you have fear. If what psychologists say is correct, the higher the IQ, the more the fear. That's the way we're put together. And that's where Jesus needs to come in. Now listen, you all look so nice today. You you look like you don't have a care in the world. But you're probably like me. And you'll probably deal with some cares before the day's through. Why don't you let God speak to your heart through His Word today? He can do that. Luke 1 and verse 5, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and I want you to remember that expression, of the course, Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now we're going to read on, but we're introduced here to a couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And Zacharias was a priest. The Bible makes that point clear. And then the Bible says of his wife, Elizabeth, that she was of the daughters of Aaron. Aaron was the first priest in the nation of Israel. And and so this was quite the priestly couple, okay? And and we're introduced to them. They're good people. And the Bible will tell us more about them in verse 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord At the time of incense, I'm going to read on, but the Bible speaks there and we'll get into it more in depth in a moment. But Zacharias is, is there doing the work that a priest would do in burning incense. And and there are people outside of the holy areas he's burning there, praying that the Lord would be in the midst of it all. Verse 11. And there appeared unto him, Zacharias, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, now these are the opening words of the angel. The first time we find angels in the Christmas narrative is right here. Here's the opening words, fear not. What does the angel say? Be not afraid. Don't be scared. All right. Words of peace. Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife, Elizabeth, shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. Whereby shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is well stricken in years. Men you'll notice that he referred to himself as old, he didn't dare use that term to refer to his wife, okay? He told the angel, I'm an old guy, my wife, she's just well stricken in years, that's all, you know, and and, uh, so that's a a good lesson for us right there. Verse nineteen. The angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple, and when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. I could read on, but for sake of time, we see in verse 25 that Elizabeth referred to this matter of her reproach in her life. In our culture, it's really not a big deal if if a wife doesn't have a a son, but in Bible times, that was like the the, the goal of every wife was to have a son to carry on the family name for her husband, and Elizabeth wanted a son, and and God blessed her with one, and we read of that in verse 25, but I want you to go back to verse 13, and the Bible says in verse 13, but the angel said unto him, fear not, Zacharias, fear not, and uh, I want us to think on that together today. Father, we thank you for the Bible, for the truth of it. Lord, we need you now. Open our hearts. Be pleased in this study. Be glorified through it all. Help each person. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. The arrival of God in the flesh on that first Christmas was the most monumental event in the history of the world. Literally, it serves as the dividing line of human history, the time before the arrival of Christ and the time since the arrival of Christ. And prior to the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ, God the Son, there was the ministry of another man who came to prepare the way. The name of that man is, is John the Baptist. The Bible says of John the Baptist in Matthew eleven eleven 11, that, that among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater Than John the Baptist we discovered last week in our study that almost everybody's born of a woman right and and the Bible says of John that among those that are born of a woman there there's none greater than John the Baptist and for that reason we know that that John was a wonderful man of God we know that Christ was born of a virgin the Bible makes that point with amazing clarity in Isaiah 7 and verse 14 the Bible says therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The birth of Jesus Christ was miraculous. But the birth of John the Baptist, who we read about in the passage before us this morning, it was miraculous as well. The Bible tells us about his parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth, and the reality that they were beyond the years of having children, yet still with a desire to have a son. And God blessed them in a supernatural way, in a miraculous way. John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, was a man that knew what fear was. If we were to take a poll today of the most well-known characters in the Christmas narrative, I, I think some of the animals in the nativity scene would get a higher ranking than Zacharias. But he was an important man in the Christmas narrative, for he was the father of the man who would serve as the forerunner to Jesus Christ. And he was a man that knew what fear was all about. In fact, the expression the Bible uses to speak of fear in his life means to be overcome with a seizure. The point is this, the Bible says that he was so overcome with fear, he couldn't even control himself. He knew what fear was all about. He knew what it was all about, and and what did he learn from this experience that can help us today? I think it's clear before us with your outline nearby, and I hope you'll take your outline out and you'll follow along today. I think the first element we see in this text is the moment of God's action. The moment of God's action. The Bible in verse verse 5 begins this way, there was in the days. Now, we're going to read further in a moment, but the Bible makes the point that if we're to understand this passage, we're going to have to understand these days. We're going to have to understand what it is that was going on. And, and the Bible references this moment. That this, this moment in world history was the closing of 400 silent years. God had made it his habit and in the Old Testament to speak to his prophets, and the prophets would then speak to the people, and God always had something to say. and He was always bringing a word of correction or encouragement or exhortation. And then, and then it was as though heaven were just silent. It was shut up altogether in terms of communication. 400 years go by. Many people just call them the silent years. Some people call it the intertestamentary period. But there are 400 years here where not a word is said. That's important for us to understand. That would have been unnerving for people who were used to hearing from God, and then all at once, heaven becomes silent. I heard of two men who were speaking, and one of them said to his friend, he said, you know, my wife, she hasn't said anything to me for three days. And his friend said, maybe she's trying to tell you something, okay? And God, by virtue of his silence, was communicating that something was was happening. Think of that. God was still working. He was behind the scenes. He was was carefully bringing into being his plan for redemption. But in the meantime, how unnerving it was to have silence. The text in verse 5 goes on to say this, In the days of Herod, the king of Judea. Now, we think of a name like Herod, and to us, that's just history. But the Bible mentions it because it's of great importance. Now, how many of you have ever explained something to someone, and when you got to the end of a long explanation, they said, What? You're wondering, well, where did I lose you? I just said a lot, and we got to the end of it, and he said, what? You know, what, what part did you miss? Uh, if you're not careful today, you can get to the end of this sermon and go, what? You're going to have to work with me today, all right? How many of you think it's okay if we study the Bible in church? Is that okay? Good, it was almost unanimous today. We're going to have to study a little bit. Now, why does the Bible think it's important for us to understand the days and understand who Herod was? There's a reason. Let's look into the life of Herod. Herod was a man, this particular Herod was known as Herod the Great. He was a man who, who was uh, the ruler of the world, as Rome set him up, the ruler, rather, of that region. Rome had set him up, and he is there as a man who is who is building the land, and that was his his legacy. When Lisa and I were in this part of the world, the Holy Land or Palestine, whatever you want to call it, we were able to see some of the places that Herod built. We saw one uh, place, we you could put that picture up, that's one of his palaces there on the sea. It's got a, they call it a hippodrome. You could watch there from the palace, the chariot races go on to the next one this area was where uh, his actual living quarters were the columns would have been all the way around it would have been elaborate there was indoor plumbing running fresh water, which was quite an accomplishment in this part of the world. In fact, there was even, if you go on to the next picture, you could see here, he had an indoor and an outdoor fresh water swimming pool that led to uh, an outdoor area where obviously there was salt water there from the Mediterranean. This guy was, was amazing with what it was he could do. He was great in his building exploits. He built another palace at a place called Masada you may have heard of, and, and the living quarters for him in that particular picture were the lower areas, but the top, it was outfitted, so that, that thousands of people could spend uh, really an, an amazing amount of time there if they were besieged. He was quite a builder. He was called the great. But the Jews did not think he was too great. They didn't think he was great at all. He professed Judaism, but he did it for political purposes. And we see that in our day as well, don't we? A politician claiming to be one thing or another to gain favor. But he wasn't. Jews knew that their ancestry started with one person, a man in whom received a a promise from God that his lineage would be as the sands of the seashore and as the stars of the sky. That man was a man by the name of Abraham. So they look back to Abraham. Abraham, we know, had a son. Abraham had Isaac. And he was grateful for Isaac. That really was a miraculous situation right there. God blessed him in a great way. And then Isaac had a couple sons. We know that Isaac had a son by the name of Jacob and another son by the name of, of Esau. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. Elbow your neighbor and, and say, are you still with him? Good. All right. Some of you. what Did they answer? Good. Isaac had Jacob. and Then Isaac also had Esau. Jacob had 12 sons. And from those 12 sons, we have the 12 tribes of Israel. Esau had children as well, and they formed a group of people called the Edomites. Now, when you go home and and watch the news and you see people fighting in Israel and Palestine and the Holy Land, I want you to know that that conflict goes back really to these two sons, and they're fighting over who has the rightful, uh, the, the, the rightful right to say, hey, I want that promise that was given a Father Abraham. They, they've been going ev- at it ever since. And we believe Jacob to be the one that is, is uh, given by God the joy of receiving that, that heirship. But Esau and his group of the Edomites claim it as well. And so there's been fighting. The Bible says enmity. So the offspring of Jacob would have not been real pleased with the offspring of Esau and the Bible lets us know that Herod the Great was an Edomite. Now, I'm saying all this to put you in, this, in, the, uh, in, in the shoes, so to speak, of Zacharias. What was the time like? Well, man, God was quiet. And if you're a priest, that would have been unnerving. Historians say that attendance to the temple was dwindling. People were beginning to wonder if, if God wasn't paying attention or even if it was real. And here he has a king. What a farce it was for, for the king in, in that land, the king seated upon the throne in, in that part of the world to be someone who was an Edomite of all things. That would be like us picking the, the enemies that we're fighting today and making one of them as our ruler. We would have a, a problem with that, you would think, and that is what was going on here. It was a time that would have created a lot of stress. It was a time that really would have, would have brought Zacharias to the point where he would have had to have wondered, does God even know what is going on here? And that's the moment God worked. The next time fear emerges in your life and it looks as though all is lost, it will never again be good, that hope is, is gone, I want you to remember that God oftentimes does His best work in situations like that. Oftentimes. In fact, the very, the, the very reality that there was an Edomite on the throne was the fulfillment of a prophecy Given hundreds of years earlier. The Bible in Genesis 49 and verse 10 said, "...the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh," referring to Christ, "...come." and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. In Micah chapter 5, 700 years before the birth of Christ, again the prophecy was given, and we see that God had it all under control. And if God can control the events of the world to bring his son into the world at the right time, in the right place, under the right circumstances, he surely can care for the events in your lives and mine. You see, Zacharias learned in the midst of all of this that God is going to work his way and his timing, and he could find comfort in that. It's interesting to consider that Zacharias' name is a name of significance. His name means this, God remembers. How many of you think that's a good name for this priest to have? He would have been thinking, God surely forgot. Look at the world, everything's, everything's out of control. His name mean, means God remembers. His wife Elizabeth has a name that means his oath. You put that couple together, you get a couple that understands God remembers his oath. And I want to share with you today what Zacharias learned in all of this time of fear, that God remembers his oath. You can count on God. You can depend on God every time, regardless of what it is that comes. We see the moment of God's action, but we see the mode of God's activity. As we get to know Zacharias, we we find that he and his wife Elizabeth were people through which God worked. God chooses to work through people. I want to share a little bit of good news with you today. Never one time in all of recorded history has God, when he needs to get something done, assembled a committee. And all God's people said, Amen. All right, good. He, he just chooses to work through people. Now, he can work through machinery. He prefers mankind. He can work through programs, but he prefers just plain old people. And so we find that when God needed to get something done, he looks down, and in his sovereignty, he sees this couple, these people, and he makes a determination. They will be the mode of the activity that I'm getting ready to do. And the Bible tells us about them. In verse 6, the, the Bible says this. They were both righteous before God. Walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. You cannot get a much better testimony than this couple had. I mean, they were righteous. They were obeying all of the commandments. They were blameless. This was quite a testimony. They were people of faith. But more than that, and I want you to see this, they were faithful people. They didn't just believe. They allowed their beliefs to affect their behavior. They talked the talk, and they walked the walk. This was an amazing couple. There are a host of details in this text that help this to make even more sense to us, really. We read that Zacharias was of the priestly course of Abiah. Now, again, stick with me. There were 24 courses of priests, 24. And we find that Zacharias was of one specific one, Abiah. The Bible mentions that. Out of 24 courses, there was one of the 24 at this moment in history that would have had the opportunity to come. In verse 9, we read this. According to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Now, let me share with you what's going on. God says, all right, there's 24 courses of you priests. You're going to take turns, only one at a time is going to have the responsibility of, of conducting this special ceremony and the burning of the incense. And of all the priests of that particular order that were chosen, only one of those priests would have the opportunity to go in and burn that incense. And they cast lots, kind of like us rolling dice maybe to, uh, to find out who it is that's going to have that privilege. And so out of all the people in the world, there's one person who's not only a priest. He's, he's of the specific order of Abiah. Not only of the order of Abiah, of all those priests, lots were cast. And he was the one that was chosen. It was such an honor that once a priest did this, never again in the rest of their lives were they qualified to, to do this again. And we find that Zacharias is this one. It was a great occasion for him. Not only was a man who was faithful to do what was right in those, in those good times, those, those times of honor, he had a great work ethic. I want you to listen to the words in verses 20 through 23 in our text. The Bible says, And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, He could not speak unto them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. The Bible tells us he saw an angel, and then he was diligent in burning of incense. And when that was done, he still didn't leave the temple. I've read different historians say he may have had 10 more days on the job without the ability to speak. Others said 14 days, some said longer. The point is this, he was the kind of man that when he started a job, he saw it through. When he did something, he did it all the way. Zacharias was a good man, he was a hardworking man, he had a great work ethic, and this appears to be his lucky day. All the orders, and he was the one, and yet we see luck had nothing to do with it. He was just faithfully doing what he knew to be right, and God used him. When God was ready to work, he chose to use someone who was faithful. The apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 21 said this, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor sanctified in meat for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. The word meat there means fit for use. And the Bible is sharing that God works through people of faith who are faithful to God. When God opens the proverbial cupboard in the kitchen, he's looking for a clean glass, not necessarily the value of the glass. God loves to use people. And Zacharias is the one that was used. Sometimes we say, God, I wish you'd work in my life. God, I wish you'd do something in my life. I've got all these situations. God, I need you to work. And I think it's as though God says, why don't you work? You first. Because God has made it his habit in the course of the history of mankind. When he chooses to do something special, he doesn't find someone who's, who's idle. He doesn't find someone who's spiritually complacent. He finds someone of faith who's being faithful to him, who serves, who's diligent to do what they know to be right and God takes it from there. You see, God does supernatural things to ordinary people. We can all be the mode through which God works if we'll be humble, if we'll live holy before Him. So we see the mode of God's activity, but the Bible goes on to reveal to us the method of God's acceptance. The method. Look in verse 12 in our text, if you would. The angel came to Zacharias, and we read this. He was troubled... And fear fell upon him. Now, when fear's falling on you, you've got big problems, okay? It's not good to have things fall on you. When fear's falling on you, and as we've seen already, the Bible literally means that when that fear fell on him, the expression there is he was unable to do anything at that time. He lost all control. He was so terrified that the fear took over his body. And I don't know if you've ever been that afraid before, but I'd imagine we can all relate to occasions like that. He saw an angel. He fell to pieces. And I, I want us to think for a moment. Why? Why did this guy become so afraid? Now, the easy answer is, well, an angel showed up. That would make anyone afraid, but but there's a lot more to it than that. I took a lot of time to emphasize a reality that this was one guy in a nation who happened to be a priest who happened to be of the one of 24 courses of priests who happened to be the one within that course that was sovereignly chosen by God to be in the holiest place burning incense he was standing in between the people and God they're outside praying he's inside burning incense and an angelic being appears and he's so afraid that he can't even move why Wouldn't you think that the best among us should at least feel comfortable in the presence of an angel? Similar when we're driving down the road and we see a police car, and we all do this. We take our foot off the gas, we cover the brake, we look at our speed limit. We're not sure we're doing anything wrong. We just want to make sure... I began to think about this, and it just struck me that a man the Bible calls blameless, who who was keeping all the commandments, who did all of these things, that he was so terrified in the presence, not even of God, of an angel. And I read some words by a pastor by the name of J.C. Ryle. He pastored in England in the 1800s. And his words were so beautiful, I thought rather than plagiarizing them and claiming originality, I'd just go ahead and share with you what it is that this guy said. Would you listen to this? He said, how are we to account for this fear? To that question, there's only one answer. And let's remember, we're talking about Zacharias here, quite the guy. It arises from our inward sense of weakness, guilt, and corruption. The vision of an inhabitant of heaven reminds us forcibly of our own imperfection and our natural unfitness to stand before God. You see, in the same way Moses and Daniel and Peter or anyone else who saw an angel felt that fear, Zacharias, who would have been the best among us, felt fear. He was a good man. Verse 6 told us he walked in all the commandments and ordinances, and he was blameless. But was he sinless? Of course not. Nobody is. He was good. He wasn't perfect. He was yielded to God. He was living right, but his acceptance was not based on his works of righteousness. Paul said to Titus in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. His acceptance was based on the fact that he was righteous, not just that he did righteous things. So I ask you today, are you righteous? If you can't be made righteous by doing righteous things, how could you be made righteous? And the Bible makes it so clear for us. Romans 4, 3, the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Abraham did some great things. He followed God. He was what we might call a good man. In Romans 4, 5, the Bible says, But to him that worketh not but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Oh, listen. Zacharias, if he was in this room, we'd all say, What a guy. Oh, man. He'd be the closest thing to perfect among us. But in comparison to the presence of even just an angel, he was so afraid he couldn't even control himself. Now, I want you to understand that we don't have an angel standing in between us and God as Zacharias did, but we have Jesus Christ, God the Son. And our righteousness in this life is not found in doing good deeds. It amazes me how, how we've trivialized church to the point where we can give nice pep talks and we, we really, what we do is we try to give people, here's five easy steps to get this done or to do that done, and we love the how-to stuff, and I'm all for that. But what, what we do, we inadvertently set up a system that says, if you do things the way I see them, you're going to come out with the result as I see it, and you're going to be just fine if you keep these five easy steps. And God says that we are only going to have a relationship with Him if we are righteous, and we don't get righteous by doing good deeds. We're righteous through faith in Christ, positionally. Zacharias was a man that had come to understand that. Now, we're all called upon to have fear in God in that holy reverence, reverential sense, but if we've accepted Christ by faith, we need never fear in terms of our standing before God it's through Christ. He makes us righteous. The method of God's acceptance is righteousness that comes by faith. And and the final thought here deals with the meaning of God's approval. As we read a moment ago, God worked in this man's life in an amazing way. He was filled with fear, but because of faith, he discovered that God's approval makes all things possible. In Mark 10, 27, the Bible says, And Jesus looking upon them saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. You see, Zacharias learned that God can work in any life, at any time, in any way, that it brings glory to him. You see, all the religions of the world have an an approach, a philosophy that is different than the faith of the bible the world will tell you what to do to have a right standing with god we've got the eight pillars of this and the five of this and the, and the pathway to this and and the bible doesn't spell salvation d-o it spells it d-o-n-e And I can't tell you what it means to me to have a guy like Zacharias that I'd fall so far short of Zacharias it's not even funny. Yet he comes before God and the reality is there that he in and of himself is not worthy. Our standing with God, it's not based on what we do, it's based on faith. Some are here today and and fear fear grips your heart. I talk about fear falling, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're afraid of a health situation or a child or any number of things, and you know what it is to be so gripped by fear. And I want you to know the basis for courage in life is knowing our standing in God, that we're righteous in Him. That's the basis. Because it's that basis that helps us to understand that God can do anything. You see, with men it is possible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Zacharias played a pivotal role in the Christmas narrative, and he was the father of the man who announced the arrival of Jesus Christ, and, and yet he was in the midst of a time of fear that was conquered by faith. And so today I say, be not afraid. Or I could make the st- same statement this way. Only believe. Only believe. Because fear and faith are those polar opposites. Mark 5.36 says this, Be not afraid, only believe. So what are you afraid of today? Because this much I know. When we have faith in God, our conviction becomes the courage that leads the way. And perhaps fear is reigning because you've tried in vain to do those righteous things, to somehow gain in your stature before God, to gain in your standing with God. It'll never be made that way. Some grapple with guilt over an issue that already has been taken to Christ. Instead of leaving it there, we carry it around with us. To start off this Christmas season, we need to learn from a guy like Zacharias, who as awesome as he was, came to understand he wasn't awesome enough. That righteousness was only found through faith in God. Our Father, we thank you for this time of study, and we pray that you'll help us today to learn from this example. I pray, Lord, that you'll open our hearts and and help us to really uh, allow your spirit to, to do that work of evaluation that can draw us closer to you. Find pleasure in it all, Lord, we pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed today. And maybe you're here this morning and And you'd say, you know, pastors, we went through that passage together and we tried to study it and and get the context and understand the meaning of it all. Maybe you'd say today, you know, it was encouraging for me to consider that our standing with God, it's not based on how much good I do. I'd never know if I did enough or staying away from bad things. I'd never know if I stayed away enough. Perhaps you'd say, you know, it's comforting to know that that's all found through faith in Christ. Maybe today you'd say, Pastor, there was a reminder in all of that, that I believe could be an encouragement and help to me in this holiday season. Are there those like that today by the testimony of a raised hand? Pastor, there's a truth in there that I think helped me. Thanks a lot. You can put your hands down. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know, Pastor, you talked an awful lot about righteousness being not through our works, but through faith in Christ. You see, those before the time of Christ, they looked ahead to His coming by faith, just as we look back by faith, but it's, it's premised upon faith. Maybe you're here today, you'd say, you know, Pastor, the reality is I'm not sure that, that that connection's been made. I'm not sure that relationship is there. Maybe you're here today and the reality is you're not certain if your life were to end, you'd spend eternity in heaven with Him. And that's really the essence of what Christmas is all about. And perhaps in the privacy of this time, you'd say, Pastor, that's kind of how the Lord's stirring up my heart. And as other hands have been raised today, I wouldn't point you out, but maybe you're here, you'd say, Pastor, kind of that's what's on my mind today. I'm... I'm not sure that connection's been made. I don't know that I have that relationship with God. I wonder are there those like that today by the testimony of a raised hand, Pastor, if you'd think of me, keep me in prayer. I'm not sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you may put your hands down. Maybe there are other decisions today, perhaps you've been saved and not yet scripturally baptized or Maybe the Lord's prompting you to unite with the Coastline family. I don't know what it is God would have you to do, but I believe this. If we're Christians, the Spirit is is in us. He's indwelt us, and He's leading us all the time. I hope we'll follow. Would you be so kind this morning as you join me in standing, please? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and the music's beginning to play. Ryan's going to come and sing a hymn of invitation today. If you know the words, you could sing along. But if God's touched your heart today and you want to spend a moment in prayer, have a blast. This time's for you. We've got counselors, men and ladies, both in the front. If you'd like someone to pray with you, we call the front of a church an altar. If you'd like to spend a moment in prayer, I'd invite you to do that. Maybe there's a spiritual decision to be made. Several today uh, said, you know, I'm just not sure that relationship with God has been established. We've got some folks here in the front with their copy of God's Word. They'd love to tell you what it is the Bible says. Maybe that'd be an encouragement to you today. Not invite you to come if it is. As the singing begins today, it's your time to come. As the singing begins, you come. Come just as you are. Hear the Spirit call.